Hi, my name is Dan, and in this world, I'm a lot of things. A father, a son, a brother, a talk radio host. But one thing that I'm definitely not is a Star Trek fan. However, my brother Joey... That's me. He is a Star Trek fan, but only the original series. Live long and prosper. He believes that if I sat down and watched the original series, that maybe, just maybe, I could become a fan too. There's such great writing. How could you not? So for the next 79 episodes of this podcast, that's what I'll be doing. Watching every episode of the original series and coming here to discuss it after each one. So join me each week as I go through all 79 original Star Trek episodes. This is Attempting Trek. And welcome once again to another edition of Attempting Trek. My name is Dan. I am the one attempting Trek, and with me, as always, as my as my spiritual guide to the original series is Superfan Joey. What's going on, Joey? Hey, Dan. How you doing, buddy? I am doing pretty good. Getting ready to uh, to dive into into this this giant episode that we have in front of us. It's the the two parter. The famous two-parter, yes. Menagerie. Now, I have to tell you, this is a, an episode that I do have a little bit of knowledge of before I had seen it. I know you do. Yeah, I, I. first of all, I am aware that it's kind of a big deal episode. I know the title, so that's how I know it's a big deal episode, because when I heard the title of the Menagerie, it's like, oh, yes, I have heard other people speaking of this, so that's one way. And uh, also, I remember watching at least part of this as a kid with you right back in the 80s back in the 80s you and and the the main thing that i remember is you explaining uh captain pike and uh, the 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 lights that are going on with him and his wheelchair right 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 we talked about this in one of our maybe the very first podcast we did um but we did talk about that so i remember that story, mm-hmm. although I don't really have the memory of teaching you about the the backstory the way you do. Ah, so yeah, that uh, that is still it's still fresh in my mind. All right, just like it was the other day. <laughs> I tell you. Now, is there anything that we need to, to touch on before we start diving into uh, our details about the menagerie? Yeah, just before we get rolling into the menagerie, I'd like to um, go backwards a little bit. Sure. Uh, the last podcast that we did we're going back in time we can do that now um the last podcast we did was the corbamite corbamite maneuver which you loved so much yes and um we talked about uh, the director uh joseph Sargent, and you know you you kind of hit upon you know how you followed his work and, and some of the other things that he's done what i should have mentioned and i i was unaware of honestly was that um he is actually the person who was responsible for bringing in Uhura. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So now, now, now he brought in the actress or the idea of the character? What, what do you mean? He was working you know, on, on Star Trek mm-hmm. and saw that they were, were doing a great job with diversity uh, on the bridge, but they were missing an African-American representative and so he's the one that brought that up to gene oh, roddenberry and he said, you know i think that's a great idea and so then you start looking around and he found her and 
she was already uh, Nichelle Nichols was already a somewhat of a known quantity for a number of reasons. Um, the TV show that uh, Gene had worked on that had been his baby before this was called The Lieutenant. It lasted exactly one season. It was um, praised by the critics. And I don't know if it did well in the ratings or not, but uh, there were some issues. And in particular, there was one episode that was racially charged. The content was racially charged. It was about uh, an African-American soldier in the army and, um, you know, how he was how he was battling racism and what he was what he was going up against. And he was dating Nichelle Nichols. Huh. And there are powerful scenes uh it's in black and white and I've seen it. There are powerful scenes where he's talking about the, uh, the challenges that he's facing and, you know, trying to try to make her aware because she was ha- having an opinion that, you know, he should just, you know, put his head down and, and just go forward. And he was saying, look, you don't, you don't understand how hard it is for me. And anyway, that episode, um, made some studio executives, a uh, little squeamish, and then that was one of the things that – one of the factors that led to the lieutenant not coming back. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So um, because he's Gene Roddenberry and he's known for these things, um, Nichelle Nichols is an attractive woman and Gene's uh, a guy that notices those things. <laughs> and um, they had an affair. <gasps> Whoa, wait a second. This is common knowledge that he and Michelle Nichols had an affair. That's common, not common to me. That's brand no, new right. knowledge to me. My, yeah. Scandalous. Right. Right, Holy right, right, cow. right. But pretty much once Star Trek is going, um, she's not around anymore. That relationship has ended. It's been over for a while, maybe a year or two or something like that. And um, she takes off uh, doing night, nightclub tours in Europe. She's, you know, she's a singer and a dancer and, you know, she's really talented and doing all these things. And um, so Sergeant is the one that thinks of her. And uh, so he goes and he has to find her. He calls the agent and the agent has to get a hold of her. And when he does, he says, listen, Nichelle, stop what you're doing. You have to come back immediately. Well, what do you mean? I'm only halfway through the tour. No, you don't understand. They're shooting this uh, TV show. It's some sort of science fiction thing, and they want someone to be part of the regular cast. This is a very, very big deal. You have to come back immediately. So she does. So she comes back. She walks into you know, into the lot, and you know, for the first time, and she's seeing everybody, and uh, goes into the room to have the the first meeting. Uh-huh. And who is there? She, Gene Roddenberry, of course. Right, and she's like, "Whoa." Uh, I didn't – why are you here? I'm surprised to see you. Right. And he sort of chuckles and he's like, well, I might have a little something to do with this. And um, and then that was that. Okay. That's fascinating. That whole story is fascinating. So you're telling me that yeah. Joseph Sargent, who's there yeah. – now you were telling me that was basically the first one that they filmed was was the one that we watched, right? The, the uh, Full Night Maneuver. Yeah. Yeah, it's the first one that they shot, but they but shot. It took forever to you know finish the post production. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's the first one they shot. So th- so that makes sense that she wouldn't be around. And then he he comes and hey, okay, let's let's do this change before we're filming. Essentially, the first one. Now is okay. Do you know if Joseph Sargent is aware of the relationship between Nichols and Roddenberry before he decides to go on a search for her? 
I believe he is not aware. Oh, come on. This story I believe is... he is completely unaware. Okay, so it's it's just it's a ridiculous coincidence. It's a television esque coincidence is what you're telling me here. Yes, and, and oh, I think this it should be an episode absurd. <laughs> yes, it does. However, I would I would say this though, if you think back to the time period, you know, uh-huh. this is nineteen sixty five. There were not a lot of African-American people in the acting world, in the studio, uh, you know, in the days of studio contracts and so forth, that probably would come to mind for a role like this. Right. I mean, this mm-hmm. is still, you know, before, you know, this is civil stellar. rights wars really, really heat up. Right. All right. This is um, this needs to be an episode unto itself. They should make this into a TV show. I like it. Right. I, I love it. This is the best little behind the scenes tidbit I think you've ever told on this podcast. That's yeah, crazy. that's why after uh, when I was doing my research for, you know, for, for the menagerie and mm-hmm. I was going back and I always do the back reading and, you know, from the previous episodes, or whatever. And I realized, oh, my gosh, that's a big one. We had to we, that has to be documented. That's a that's a huge contribution that Joseph Sargent made to the history of the show. And um, and that's not the only one. He he did a couple of other things that are, are to me are not nearly as big. But um, and then of course like yeah the backstory of who she is, how she's tied in with Jean. Oh yeah, um, that's crazy. The fact that she's a big part of the reason. I mean she's just a, an actress, but she she does play a role, um, literally and figuratively, in his show being taken off the air. His his his, his first you know baby project, the Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. So all of this, yeah, ties in together pretty interestingly, huh? Yeah, that that really does. All right, yeah. so uh, yeah, so Jaws: The Revenge, The Taking of Pelham One, Two, Three, and Lieutenant Uhura. Yes. these are the things in the uh, in the Joseph Sargent resume that all should know. All right, I like it. Wow. Yeah, and okay. I just want to uh, make sure that people know that if they want to see that episode of the Lieutenant that I'm referring to, mm-hmm. there are at least. A couple of chunks of it on YouTube. That's where I saw it. I okay. didn't see the the whole thing on Netflix or something like that. It's okay. pretty hard to find, but I was able to uncover it uh, six months ago, whenever it was. And I think I'm almost positive that I saw it on YouTube. And the big scene that I'm talking about with her in the car and the boyfriend and their the the, the you know the the fiery sort of conversation that they're having that they are having in that moment. It's all on YouTube. At least it was. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Now, is there anything else that we need to do before we jump into the menagerie? I think we have to uh, just catch people up now on on where we are points-wise. Oh, of course. All right. So let's see. So points-wise, we are, I believe, up to uh, 1,420 points. That is correct. You got to feel a little bit better about your points right now. Um, I think you're just a little over 1% of the way there. Yeah. Okay. Granted. That's not what we're looking for. It's a little lower than what we're looking for. However, we were probably at, I don't know, um, one-tenth of one percent prior to that, correct? Yeah, something like that. Okay, yeah. so like this is a big leap. We're, we're all happy, right? We're, in a, a, we're feeling better? Where's the, what's the end goal again? What's the number we're trying to reach? A uh, hundred thousand. A hundred thousand. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I feel very confident. Okay, all right, all right. Well, I'll tell you this. Yes, uh, we are now. You had asked me at some point. You know, at what point are we going to start? Um, you know, hitting you know the episodes that I think are really among the best. Yes. 
we're, we're, and I told you the last time you asked me, I said that we were just scratching the surface. Okay. And now we are in it. We are in it. Oh, and, we're um, in it. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this one here today, obviously. Sure. And then, um, and then from here on, it's a pretty good ride. And if if we're not getting huge fat chunks of points, yeah. And uh, out of these, out of the next say twenty or thirty, yeah. Well. We may have to revisit. (laughs) We may have to revisit. We're gonna we're going to attempt. We're gonna have to reattempt attempting trek. Is what you're telling me? We might have to do that. You're just gonna keep watching until we get enough points. I'll find a way, though. (laughs) Uh, I'm starting to feel it. Okay. All right. All right. So let's uh, let's get into the menagerie. All right. So. So the air date is uh, of these two episodes. It's a two part episode. Yes. November 17th and 24th, 1966. This was the 16th, 15th, and 16th episodes to be produced, um, although it's uh, the 11th and 12th episodes to be broadcast. Uh And in the ratings, it did very well. It tied for first in the first half hour, and it was first in the second half hour. And then they combined it up together, and they said that they won. So this episode and um, the treatment of the storyline itself was incredibly lauded. You just ha- I just want you to be aware of that. So I don't know if you are familiar with the Hugo Award. Are you familiar with that? Uh, not incredibly, but I have heard of the Hugo Award. It's like the Oscars, the Tonys, the Emmys, all wrapped up in one thing when it comes to science fiction. And um, so they won the Hugo Award for this episode. They won tons of general kudos from professionals and experts in the science fiction communities, various TV critics. And, of course, the fans just thought it was unbelievable. Um, Really? Yeah. People were amazed by what they saw here. Um, You know, putting this together – might, from the outside, might seem like it's uh, it's an easy venture. You know, you write the envelope around it. That's what this is called, an envelope. You write the envelope around it, and you have Shatner and Nimoy say their lines, and you drop in all the older footage, and then you then you sew it up together, and boom, you got a show. But it uh, turned out that uh-huh. all that praise, all that great work, um, all of the the big leaps forward um that uh that that nbc uh got from from the fans and the critics and so so forth all of that came at a tremendous cost to roddenberry and the show um everything that was involved in putting it together really in my opinion i haven't heard anybody else say this but just in doing all the research in my opinion Mm -hmm. this is the beginning of all the relationship troubles that would eventually doom the show relationships with desi lu nbc even among the actors, between the actors and Gene Roddenberry. Oh, really? They, they all take some t- the, the very first hits, and they're all tough hits. And a lot of those wounds would only get worse as uh, as as the series went on. Oh. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of blood that spilled in in, in making this. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, you know, just from the outside, you go, oh, come on, this, this should have been really easy. But we'll talk about some of that stuff after we're done. Okay, you know, going through happen so i just wanted to put that uh that thought into your head that this was a, a this really was a dramatic undertaking um and uh was not was not thought to be done lightly okay all right so here we go right yep all right so we're starting off and it where we're starting off is very interesting joey it's very interesting it looks like a nice 
gated community in space is what it looks like. <laughs> like there's well kept lawns and it looks like it looks like a nice space neighborhood is what it looks like to me, right? Yeah. And, you know, we have a nice shot of this, and then here come the fellas beaming in, and I, I will tell you, this is the first time that, that we've been doing this, that I, as they beamed in, I was like, oh, this looks like, this looks like what I expect Star Trek to be, because all of a sudden, it's Kirk, it's Spock, and it's McCoy. It's just the three of them, and, yep. all right, and and they all look like, yes, we're, we are exactly who you think we are at this point. <laughs> you know, right, right. And so they're they're greeted by a woman who's asking them, "Hey, uh, what are you doing here?" And Kirk explains, "Well, we we received a message to to come here, and they're told um, we didn't send any messages. We received a subspace message asking us to divert here immediately. The space sent no message, Captain. Now there is some nice shots here of Kirk and this woman. He's got uh, a nice grin going on." As, yeah. he, as he's looking around over there. Yeah. 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 This might be the beginning of that. Oh, is it the beginning? I don't know. I think I've seen it before, but okay. All right. So let's go meet the Commodore. That's, oh, yeah. All right. Uh, so <laughs> we meet the Commodore, and his, his name is uh, Mendez, I believe, right? Yes, I think is it Jose Mendez? Yes, it's Jose Mendez. Commander yes. Mendez. Yes, yes, it's a it's a Spaniard, uh space Spaniard. I like it. Yeah, I think he's actually I think the actor is actually like uh, Ukrainian or Latvian or something, but Well, that's all right. We'll we'll take yeah. it. I mean, yeah. we you know, I I will tell you when I first heard his name, there's a I I want to say it's The Man Trap, I think it is, where he re- references or talks to Somebody named Dominguez. And I kept thinking when I saw uh, this guy, I was like, oh, is that the guy he referenced in that other episode? But then I found out it was a different name. So, no. Okay. Yeah, I know. It doesn't mean anything. All no. right. So let's see. Kirk explains. Hey, listen. Spock here received a message from Captain Pike. And Mendez says, listen, I don't know if you, uh, you've seen Captain Pike lately, but that's completely impossible. And so Kirk's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, well here, let, let me show you how impossible it is. And then well, we now, go. Just before you get to that. Yeah. He happens to reference the fact that mm-hmm. Kirk and Pike are about the same age. About your age. Big, handsome man, vital active. He does. Really? Wow. See, he does. I, and in fact, um, Kirk meant he kind of confirms that by saying something about they sort of like passed by each other through the academy or something. Remember that? You know, I I don't remember that at all. Okay, I, well, it's I, in this conversation just before he's going to open the door and oh, they're going to see yeah, Pike. Good. But what do you think about? Are we, I remember when we first talked about the cage, we discussed whether you know uh, Pike's relative age versus Kirk's, and you felt like Pike had to be a lot older. I did. Okay, yeah, I would think that he was. Yeah, I would think that he was older. Because yeah. in the cage, he looks about Kirk's age or maybe a little older, I would say, somewhere around there. And the cage, we we, we now know, takes place, what, 11 years before? Something like that? I think it's 13, I think. Okay. All right, so 13 years prior. So yeah. 13 years added on to, uh, to right. Pike from there. Right. Um, yeah, okay. So that's what we're walking into? All right. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So okay, we, we we walk into the room and there is Pike. He is uh, poor bastard. 
He is in the worst looking wheelchair ever devised. It looks like a torture device. It looks like something where he's been uh, compressed into uh, just a thing. You know, there's yeah. no there's no yeah. arms anywhere. It's just uh, the top of the shoulders and then a face that doesn't really move. You know, just kind of looks kind of looks at you. He's got a light on the wheelchair that will blink uh, once for yes and twice for no. Which is funny because I would think that that you would do that the other way. I would think. Twice. I'll tell you what's funny. Why not just use the, some of the other lights? Uh, I, okay. <laughs> here, you know what's really funny about this. All right, is that yeah. you know how you remember things and then they kind of just get jumbled in your head and you yeah. think that you remember something and that's not how it is. Okay, when I think of this episode and I think of you and I watching it back in yeah. the 1980s, I think that he had two lights. And one of them was was green or one of them was white and then the other one was red. And one would be yes and one would be no. So when I see that it's just the one light, yeah, I thought that too. I was like – And he's got five lights or he might – I think it's five. He's got three light-looking things on the top row and then he's got – Two on the bottom with some sort of a screen, and the only thing that does anything is that top middle light. Yeah, and it, you would think at this point in time they would have something that he could just you know like wear on his head, and then there would be a digital screen that would you know print what he was thinking. You know, we, we haven't advanced. Come on, this is all we've got yeah. is the yes no yeah. light. I mean, the yes no light obviously is attached to his brain somehow, right? So yeah. come on, yeah, come on, future. <laughs> Very disappointing future. <laughs> okay. So let's see. So uh, Kirk was not aware of Pike's condition that he'd been in some some horrible um, accident. He was saving uh, orphans out of a burning building or whatever the hell the problem was, but uh, something heroic. And mm-hmm. now he's stuck in this wheelchair. Uh, now, if if you didn't know that Pike was the previous Enterprise captain, now we know. And uh, he's in this space wheelchair. Okay. But he, he does tell us one thing. That he didn't send any messages. Okay. So so who sent the message? We've got a mystery on our hands. We do. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody ends up leaving the room, but Spock says, hey, listen, let me talk to my former captain because I haven't seen him in a while, and we should hang out and catch up. So they speak privately, and <laughs> this is – this is like when things get, start getting a little cool. It's right oh, here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Spock's all secretive. It's all this secretive television kind of thing that's happening here where he says, listen, I've got everything planned. Don't worry. Now, Pike keeps telling him, no. Like everything yes. Spock says, he's just, no, don't worry. Everything's all in place. No, I've done all of the research. We can't fail. No. He's just saying no over and over again. I have never disobeyed your orders before, Captain. But this time, I must. I know. I know it is treachery and it's mutiny. But I must do this. It's only six days away at maximum warp. (laughs) No. Yes. Also, whatever it is, it's treacherous and it's mutiny. He throws yes. those words in there as well. But it's, right. it is something that he must do. So now we're all in on it. Okay. Spock's gone rogue. 
That's mind blowing. Yeah, you like that, huh? I, 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 I honestly, I almost feel like it's a little too early in the run, but it's awesome. Yes, it's awesome. Spock going rogue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Kirk and uh, and and Commodore Mendez. They have a little conversation. They're trying to figure out who sent the message. They're going to, all right, well, here's what we'll do. We'll get an engineer, and uh, he'll do some checking down in the, you know, the engineer room where we have uh, some <laughs> some room, some very, uh, some like a big room that has a bunch of old-looking uh, machines that send out messages or receive messages, but they're supposed to be future machines that do these sorts of things. Sure. All right, so... Uh, we got, and I like how the guy who's in there is dressed like a mechanic. This is, this is he's he's basically this is what I, the IT guy looks like in space. Is uh, he's doing a lube job yeah. real quick? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he's going in there and he's doing some some checking, and this is where Spock. This is where Spock, who has gone rogue, sneaks into the room, and he's kind of like sneaking around. He's like hiding behind things. You're seeing Spock sneak around. I, 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 it's hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious. In a good way. Yes. No, in, in a great way. No, no. It's highly entertaining. And eventually, he gives them the old FSNP. To, uh... <laughs> the famous Spock nerf pit. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Sneaks into now. This is with uh, uh, he does this to a. I think it's a different engineer. Then he starts messing around with all of the records, so we don't exactly yes. like. What is he up to? What is happening here? I don't know. All right. Meanwhile, we're gonna go back to uh, uh, Kirk and the Commodore, and yeah. here comes the lady from earlier. I believe now yeah. we know her name is uh, Piper, Miss Piper. I believe, right? Correct. Okay. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, another phenomenal moment. Uh, she mentions. Oh, yeah, you know, you know, Kirk, it just so happens I know a lady who happens to know you. You know, my pal Helen Johansson, she knows you. And uh, Kirk has like, a, oh, he's sort of worried for a second. Like, he wait is. A, yes. Yeah, like, wait a second. Uh, what did she tell you about me? <laughs> <laughs> what secrets did I tell her that uh, I don't want out right now? I recognized the captain immediately. A mutual friend described you, sir, Lieutenant Helen Johansson. Helen, described. She merely mentioned she knew you, sir. And then, Miss Piper does what I think pretty much any woman would do in this situation. She just kind of stares into uh, the handsomeness of Kirk. Yeah. For like a second, <gasps> she kind of gets lost in his eyes. <sighs> yeah, uh, and this is one of those moments that even when I, you know, even now. And certainly when I was a kid watching this, I would just be like, oh, really? Yeah. Can we – do we need to watch that? Just just do the story without that, uh, you know? <laughs> I love that. I don't you know. love it. I, I need more it. of it. I, I think it is so funny. It is it's so, so hilarious. Stupid. <laughs> that, that's why it's funny. I love it. Okay, and I and I love it in a sincere way. I don't love it in a. I'm being a, like I'm mocking it. I think it's hilarious, like legit. Okay, so anyway, um, Piper does go ahead though and suggest that maybe Spock is the one behind the message. And yep. initially, Kirk is dismissive of this idea, like, "No, it's what are you talking about? That's ridiculous." Because of course, that does sound ridiculous. Meanwhile, good old sneaky Spock is. Uh, 
is actually up to some nefarious things. He's going to send some new orders over to the Enterprise. How to receive new orders. That'll be fed directly into the ship's computers. This is top secret and scrambled. And and by the way, who in the hell is running the Enterprise while the three main guys are off the right? ship? Yeah, it's here's who it is, Joe. It's some dude. That's who he is to me. He's some dude. I know his name is, I think, Hanson. Hanson here, Captain. Our destination has been scramble fed into ship's computers. Uh, how can I handle the helm if I don't know where we're going? But it's yes. like, who the F is this guy? Yeah, Lieutenant Hanson. That's going to be his one shot at, uh, at running the show. <laughs> is that right? I'm not surprised. Yep. Okay. Yep. So anyway, uh, the new orders come in to Lieutenant Hanson, which, by the way, they are uh, top secret and scrambled. So that's how you know it's serious business. So um, now uh, Hanson and Uhura, who's with uh, with Hanson, uh, they're about to get these orders. But Spock gets interrupted by uh, some other engineer. And and now this gets pretty serious. This yep. this is not. I'm just going to sneak up behind you. No, no, we're going to come to to blows here. And Spock's kind of you know fighting him off. And eventually, it's the old FSNP again. Got to do bust, what you got to do. He's got to bust it out twice in one episode. I don't think that's happened yet. I don't think he's ha- he's used it as much as he has here. Maybe not yet. Yeah, he's just <laughs> just putting guys away. All yeah. right, so he gives Hanson the orders. Listen, and uh, by the way, these are top secret. Don't talk to anybody about this stuff. Uh, in fact, here's what we're going to do. Uh, the ship will just fly itself, okay? So yep. we're, I'm putting these orders in. The ship is going to take care of everything, and you keep your mouth shut. Okay, it's fine. Meanwhile, uh, back to Kirk. He's watching Pike on a monitor, and uh, Pike is just there saying no over and over again. No. No, no, no. Even though Spock has left the room like 30 minutes prior and is beating up engineers, Pike is still just saying no. He's yelling. Yes. So McCoy is finally has something to do. He's talking and he's saying, hey, listen, Pike is actually he's alive inside. That's that's there's something going on here. Now, Kirk brings up the idea to McCoy. All right, listen, I think. Maybe Spock is the one behind this because Kirk is not an irrational fella. He's given it some thought, and it only makes sense that Spock yeah, would be the one behind it. It's very this. different, though, right? It's a departure from his uh, his initial reaction when the woman brought it up. Yes, when Piper brought it up, right? Yes, but yeah, it is. It's it is a he has had a change of heart. He has thought it through because if somebody said that to you, the guy who is the most loyal and only runs on logic and hides all his emotions, that guy. What are you talking about? Of course, that guy wouldn't be behind something shady. But then, all right, now given time to process all of the information that it could only have been Spock. He was the only one who received the message. And there's no record of one being sent. No one where they're they're at says that they got a message. I mean, you know, you got to start looking there. However, McCoy does exactly what Kirk was doing before, and he refuses to believe such a thing could ever happen. It's like, yes, it's just, it's it's not possible. It's just not possible that it could be Spock. Either someone sent a message diverting us here, or someone on board the ship lied about receiving it. Could that someone be Mr. Spock? Jim, forgetting how well we both know Spock, 
The simple fact that he's a Vulcan means he's incapable of telling a lie. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> suddenly McCoy is called back to the ship for a medical emergency. Hmm. Now, there's not any other doctors on the ship. I mean, I know he's... Well, if it's know. an emergency, he's well, one of the top guy there. Well, I don't know. I mean, I would think they have other people in place. I mean, obviously, uh, he's being called back for a real reason. For a, yep. for, for, there's something else at play here is my point. I don't think okay. they would just call him back because some, if somebody had a heart attack, somebody else is on board that could, that could get, you know, handle things. That could put that guy on that, uh, that one table and then watch those levels go up and down. There's somebody else who could do that. That's Probably. all I'm telling you. All right. So now the Commodore, he's got a file. And he's given it to Kirk. And it says on it, Talos 4. <laughs> this is apparently a planet no one is allowed to visit under the penalty of death. General Order 7, no vessel under any condition, emergency or otherwise, is to visit Talos 4. And to do so is the only death penalty left on our books. Yep. Okay, that's a pretty serious penalty for just visiting. It's kind of like, you know, go into Cuba. You know, you're just not allowed to go there. Piper then notices, oh my goodness, Pike is gone. Commodore! Captain Pike, he's gone! And oh my goodness, where did the Enterprise go? Linda's here, what is it? Starship Enterprise, Commodore. It's warping out of orbit. Refuses to acknowledge our signal. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly everything is is missing. What has happened here? Everything is missing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now we're back on the Enterprise. Spock is there. He's in command. And he gives everybody, hey, listen, he tells everybody, listen, all right, first of all, I want you all to get things straight. We're on a secret mission, so don't ask any questions. Second of all, Captain Kirk, he had some bad bad space oysters. He's not feeling so good. He's, uh, you know, he's going to be taking a nap for the rest of the episode. So please... Don't even ask me about him, okay? And don't go questioning anything because this is top secret stuff that we're dealing with. So McCoy then enters and says, what is happening? What are you talking about? I haven't heard anything about Kirk being sick. I would know I'm the doctor, damn it. All right. So Spock then says, listen, I got to show you something. (laughs) All right. What are you going to show me? Uh, Look. Look, it's Pike. He's on the ship. <laughs> what the hell? And then Spike. I mean, I'm sorry, Spike. Um, Spike. I'm, you know what? I should just. Days. <laughs> <laughs> it was bound to happen with Spock and Pike. It was bound to happen. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, talking. right. I guess yeah. so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Spock then plays a message from Kirk. And the, Kirk, and the message basically says, uh, this is Captain Kirk. Listen to whatever Spock has to say. That's that's basic. That's essentially what the message is. Do whatever he tells you. It's even more nefarious trickery on Spock's part because he's forging message. He's forging messages from the captain, Joe. Yes. This is bad stuff. This is. I, I, how are I'm sure when you're watching this? What are you thinking? Well, I remember watching it as a kid. Yeah. So, and, you know, watching it like at six or seven. And for my brain, I clearly remember just being confused. I wasn't like, oh, no, Spock, you can't be doing that. You know, it wasn't that. It was like, 
I don't understand. Isn't he a good guy? Like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, that's that's the way my brain was handling it. Okay, and it so like when I, I'm watching this, it's honestly fascinating. It's it's great. Like the, yeah. the idea of Rogue Spock is really cool, and everything that's going on so far is really really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's see. Where are we? We're we're gonna be back on the bridge with Hanson. Uh, and he tells Spock, hey, um, by the way, there's a little tiny ship and it's following us, which also makes me to wonder, where is Sulu? Because he's not around for some reason. He's not here yet, but now but now hold the phone. Yeah. So when they show the uh, projector screen and they show the point of view from the backside where you can sort of see like the, you know, the two, whatever those two fins are. Yes. Okay, that to me, and then it's nothing but outer space. That you know, in in between, you can't see the the uh, you can't see the ship that's coming after them. Right, right, um, right. That just that image was really funny to me. It made me think of uh, all of those Facebook photos you see of people shooting the beach from their from <laughs> the chair that they're sitting in. Those are the legs. I hate those pictures. <laughs> yes, yes. I, that's what this reminded me of. Like the the Enterprise was was doing this weird photo of itself. <laughs> that's hilarious. And by the way, people out there who are listening to this podcast, stop taking those beach pictures. We don't want <laughs> your legs look stupid in those pictures. Man, I can't stand those. <laughs> All right. So anyway. All right, so on on the smaller ship, we see that it is Kirk and it is Commodore Mendez, and all right, they're now figuring it out. They're they're on their way back. They're chasing after the Enterprise, and they have deduced that Spock is going to the mysterious Talus Four. Kirk keeps calling the Enterprise, but nobody's picking up the phone. Spock then realizes, okay, or I should say, he learns that. Uh, well, that little ship that's chasing us, it only has so much fuel. Yep. And at some point, it's it's got to it's got to turn around because unlike the Enterprise which could just, you know, seemingly go for a very 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 long time, that little thing, you know, it's got to fuel up here and there. So there there's a point of no return for that thing. And once now he knows, he knows that Kirk is on that little ship. Yep. And once he realizes that that ship has gone past the point of no return. How long before Shuttlecraft's fuel supply forces return to Starbase? Computed. Shuttlecraft is already past point of safe return. Well, he immediately gives up. Gives up everything. Yeah, so this is Kirk once again playing a game. To win. So yes. in the Corbomite maneuver, it was poker. Yes. And this time, what do you think he's playing? Um, Monopoly. He's playing a game of chicken. Oh, that's good. Don't that's you think? Good. Yeah. You know what? You're right. Because he, he is he knows that, it's, it, that it is Spock at this point. Yep. And he knows that Spock is going to be aware that he's chasing him in that little ship. And that little ship only has so much fuel. And it's like, okay, listen, you're going to either let me on or you're going to let me die. And I don't think you're going to let me die. Yeah, right. And so he gambles and he, and he wins. Yep. Mm-hmm. Once again, Kirk makes the right call. <laughs> he plays the right game. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Spock gives up. He tells McCoy, all right, um, listen, uh, this was just a mutiny attempt. And so you have to arrest me. 
And McCoy's like, what? Wait, what are you talking about? What's happening here? Doctor, as senior officer present, I present myself to you for arrest. What? The charge is mutiny, doctor. I never received orders to take command. So, <laughs> two red shirts have to uh, then take Spock away, where they can find him to his quarters and not into any kind of, uh, like, a, like, the brig or, you know, the prison, whatever, space jail. Uh, we do get a, sh- uh, a quick scene with Scotty, who we have not oh, yeah. seen, bur- uh, beaming uh, Kirk and the Commodore on board. Spock is watching them on a monitor. He's watching Kirk on a monitor, which I think is really funny. Yep. Kirk's trying to get control of the ship from the computer, which has been running the ship. And Spock's like watching him on TV from his room, which it's like, uh, <laughs> what? Like, where, <laughs> where is this camera? Who set up this this monitoring system? I don't understand. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, though, more importantly, the ship is not stopping. It is still going to Talus Four, the uh, the planet where you go and you visit, uh, and they give you the death penalty. Uh, now, what we're gonna do? Well, all right. We got to have a preliminary hearing with Spock. We gotta have some. We're gonna get some justice done here. But before we go to a straight court martial, we're gonna have a preliminary hearing. So, well, now typically you like these uh, these hearing scenes. Uh, although this one has a bunch of um, bunch of tables as opposed to the one big conference table. Yeah, we're not in my favorite room. We're not in the conference room. We're in some other. We might other be room. in this. We might be on the same set. It looks to me like it might be. It's it, just that they don't have the same table in there. This is true. It probably is the same set. Yeah. Okay. But you don't like it as much. You like the big table. I like the conference room, and I like when we're in the conference room for whatever reason. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be a hearing. It could be we're okay, everybody. We're gonna die unless we figure it out. You know those. You like that of- roundtable conversation? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. You also like when they use the room for like the uh, for the casual moments when oh those are the best who is singing and uh, Spock is strumming some okay. instrument okay that is one of my that's one of my favorite images that i've seen is yes. uh, <laughs> Uhura singing and Spock with whatever that sort of harp thing he was playing. Yeah. Oh, man, you can't be I'm not that. sure we'll ever see that again. I, I, I seriously doubt it. There will be other people that do stuff like that, but I don't think you're going to see the main characters involved in that. I could be wrong, though. Oh, OK. All right. Well, you know, yeah. I, actually, that gives me a little bit of hope. I, had a, I was thinking that was all right. That's got to be a one time thing that happened <laughs> because if it happened more often, we'd know about it. Mm. All right. So let's see. Uh, Spock insists, by the way. Hey, preliminary hearings are for squares. Let's go right to the court martial. Where are you right to counsel of your choice? Sir, I waive counsel. Further, I waive rights to this hearing and request immediate court martial. That's right. Let's not mess around here. Yep. Go big or go home, Jim. Let's do it. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to have the court martial hearing. And you need three captains in order to do it. And you got, uh, well, you got Kirk. And uh, you got the Commodore. And you got Pike. And initially, we're not really wanting to use Pike, but it is brought up that he's still listed on active duty. We know he's still alive because McCoy told us. So, okay. Let's also, I find it interesting that Kirk is still trying to help Spock. He do, he wants to have the hearing. He doesn't want to have the court martial. You're right. Yes. All right. That's what that whole argument is about. Is that Spock is like, no, no. Let's get, let's 
let's do the big thing that, that'll get me in the most trouble. And uh, and Kirk is like, no, you dummy. Yes. We don't need to do that. Let's yes. let's just figure it out amongst us boys and everything will be OK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I do wonder if in in reality, like you would have Pike and Kirk on the court martial hearing since both of them have personal ties with Spock. I feel like that probably would not happen. Like both of those guys would would not be allowed in order to uh, to be judges on uh, on a hearing. What okay. do you think? I think if you're back uh, on a base, sure. But you know, probably a lot of court martials do have to happen um, on a ship. You think they? they you, know? you think they happen immediately? I I, I I think you know. I mean, yeah, I do. Okay. How far away are they at certain points? Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably doesn't happen. Often, but there's just you know the whole business of of um, of Star Trek is all these you know ships that are running around you know millions and millions and millions of miles away from each other. I don't know that you can always wait um, to get that business taken care of. And another thing that that needs to happen in this case, and probably in a lot of these other mythical court cases, is you're still trying to get facts. What? Why did you do this? True. I don't understand. Yes. You know? Yes. So you probably don't wait. I mean, I guess I could say I could see it going either way, I guess. All right. Uh, I'm sure there's some admiral who's going to be listening who has an answer and is just listening. You know, he's like yelling at uh, at his uh, iPhone right now. Oh, of course you wait. That's how it's done. Everybody knows this. There's, you know, okay. that someone's doing that or he's doing. No, you do it immediately. Whatever it is. Radio Dan show dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're, we're, Spock enters his, his guilty plea. We're going to do the court martial. But first, everybody has to go put on the, their fanciest space clothes before we can do this. Everyone has now changed, and uh, we've got very fancy uh, space shirts on. You know, you could tell they, they've got that, uh, that like, gold in the, that runs down the middle of the shirt. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, because you've got to look good for your court martial. All right. <laughs> So let's see. Now, before Spock has, <laughs> Spock has decided, hey, listen, I'm, I'm thrown, I've entered the guilty plea, but here's how I'm going to present my side of things. Let's watch some old home movies. <laughs> so <laughs> he goes ahead and he pulls out an old Betamax that says the cage on it, and he puts it into the machine, and now we're going to watch the cage. And so as it starts, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, a video. From 13 years ago, and it's the Enterprise. And Kirk, after a few seconds, like, wait a minute, this cannot be real. Nobody makes home movies this good. This clearly, there was a budget involved here. There's multiple camera angles. How how on earth is this happening? No vessel makes record tapes in that detail, that perfect. What were we watching? I cannot tell you at this time, sir. I want to jump in on that because, you know, I want to make sure that because of something you said at the start of this, that um, the reason that this would blow viewers' minds away is because of some of the things that you just said. You know, remember that the cage has never been seen by the viewing public. I am to keep that in mind. Yes, I am aware of that. And, you know, it's good that we point that out because I think that's that's going to be the big difference between everyone else and me is that I've already seen the cage. Right. And I think that that has a a big impact on, on how I view these episodes. 
Right. So you just have to sort of try to look at it that way, that this yeah. is, you know, this is still, it's 1966. Viewers are just getting used to this TV show called Star Trek that has a ton of color and a, and a, a the biggest, most expensive uh, budget in television history at that time. And it's already blowing people away with uh, some of the things that they're doing that today I know look hokey, but back then they did not. And now they go ahead and they have this episode where Spock is going rogue and they want to show what happened on the Enterprise 13 years ago. And this isn't just like some, you know, episode of uh, of Friends where they go back in time for two minutes to talk about how Ross first met Chandler or something like that. This is a whole huge, big production where you can see uh, Spock obviously looks tremendously different and everything on the enterprise looks tremendously different. Yes. Um, it definitely looks like things have aged 13 years. And like you said, the, the, the different camera angles, the attention to detail, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like an, like an awful lot, an amazing uh, amount of, um, of detail for, I think, uh, a look back in in a TV show. It is impressive at how much better the set design got in about a year or two. It's, uh, yeah. I always I always marvel at that. Yeah, because the, the set design on the cage is so much worse. It's so much worse. All of those desk lamps that everybody has in front of them that's coming out, those are, are terrible. But it does work in in the context for this episode because you yep. can see it does. It looks like the past. Like I, I if, if I'm going to tell you this is 13 years ago, you're totally going to believe that it's the past for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. So first Kirk says, look, this video can't be real. And then Spock says, listen, this is exactly what happened. I'm not telling you how we're seeing these images, but it's legit. So now we're going to turn the cage back on and we're going to watch it again. All right, so let's see. Uh, this is where we – here's Pike, you know, younger Pike, not in a wheelchair Pike. Him and the crew, they go to Talos 4. They get um, a message. <laughs> they get a phantom message. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> From a group that crashed there years ago. Uh, we have the scene of Pike wanting to resign and not sure if he wants to be a captain anymore, blah, 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 blah. Now, we're going to go back for a second. The Commodore says, listen, I don't want to watch the cage anymore. And I think (laughs) I think this is some kind of trickery that's going on here. I want this to stop right now. Spock says, no, no, no. (laughs) You have to watch. Listen, this only works if you watch all of the cage. okay? and then after we've watched it, then I will release the ship. Commodore says, no, Pike said, I'm sorry. Kirk says yes, and then Pike beeps yes. So we are now going to go back to watching more of the cage. Mm-hmm. All right. So here we have uh, Pike and the crew. They're beaming down to Talos 4. They meet the, the lost crew of old guys that are there. We meet the blonde girl. Uh, then Pike gets uh, gets captured. They can't. He gets captured, and, and he's taken inside the mountain that has doors, that has the elevator doors. They can't get him out. Now we're going to go back to the uh, the present, the future, wherever it is that we're going, where Uhura interrupts and says, hey, listen, we just got a message, <laughs> message in from Talos 4. Uh, by the way, Kirk says, I'm sorry, Starfleet says, Kirk, you're relieved of duty for going to Talos 4. Bad job. 
The Commodore is now in charge. And, and and the Commodore says, hey, Spock, good job. Now look, you got your captain in trouble over to this. You need to turn over control of the ship, and we need to stop watching the cage. Spock says, nope. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a, a court in recess. All right, everybody relax. Take a second. Think it over. Kirk says, <laughs> have you gone crazy? <laughs> yes, Spock, he's gone crazy, <laughs> which is a great question to ask at this point. And Spock just... I'm telling you, he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. You got to see the rest of this show. It's really good. <laughs> you just got to wait till you get to the end because it's, it's a really good show. I'm not saying that because I'm in it. You just got to watch it all. <laughs> uh, the end of, and here's where we're hitting the end of uh, the first episode in the two-parter where Kirk says to, uh, to lock up Spock. Okay. That, I thought, was phenomenal. Don't stop me. Don't let him stop me. It's your career and Captain Pike's life. You must see the rest of the transmission. Lock him up. Lock him up. Yeah, lock him up. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So we're going back to uh, now we're in part two, the second episode of our two-parter. And uh, the keeper from Talos 4 has taken over the screen for a second here. This is uh, according to Spock, who's actually giving us a recap. Like, everybody is back in the court-martial scene, right? And then Spock is, like, explaining. It's like... Is it Spock? It's Kirk. Well, Kirk is doing the the initial voiceover, right, when the episode begins. But then in the room, as it starts to play again, Spock is talking and and kind of explaining what's happened. All right, so here's where we are in the cage, in case you missed it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Here we are back in the cage, co-starring me. So we've got uh, Pike is the in the pr- uh, control of our screen. Yeah, <laughs> Pike is uh, in in the he's in that clear prison. We meet those bald jerks that I hated so much from the cage. You really did. Oh yeah. Just seeing them again, I got. I was like, oh, these guys. <laughs> these guys. These bastards. I hate these guys. <laughs> I hate these guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, they. All right, I believe we we do whatever. I can't, honestly, right now, I don't even remember what, what whatever fantasy they put him into. They put Pike into at first. I can't remember what it is, but he immediately knows that he's in, in a fantasy. You know where they're using all their their fancy mind tricks of illusion on him. It's the uh, it's him reliving what happened to him in Rigel Seven, the battle that they all had just come back from, and they were all <sighs> weary and tired. Yes, and so he winds up fighting a guy that's like sort of like the Mongolian, you know, you know, creature, and then he, you know, he winds up sort of stabbing the guy. The guy jumps on top of him, but he puts a, a big knife in the ground, and then a guy lands on it, and this, and the knife goes through him. Good job. Yeah. All right. So we got we we got to watch that again. All right. So now we're going to go back to the trial. And again, here's what we're going to get. All right. I want to know what's going on. You got to keep watching. I demand to know why. If you'll be patient, sir, the answers to your question. You're forgetting you're on trial, Spock. You will answer all questions put to you. My answer to your question would be quite unbelievable, sir. I regret We'll have to wait and see it there. This is what's we're just going to keep doing this over and over. Again. Yep. The commodore yep. is going to demand to understand. I don't understand. What does this have to do with anything that's going on here? No, no. This episode, it's you don't understand. It's just starting to get good. Just relax. Get some popcorn. 
So we're going to go back to the cage. Uh, and I don't know. We're going to watch more of the cage. And then we're going to go back to the trial for a second. And then we have uh, Kirk asking Pike, hey, um, you and that woman that uh, are on the screen here, uh, you guys were like uh, kept for breeding in the space zoo. Uh, Pike says, yeah, that's what was going on. Or he beeps it. And Spike again reminds oh, – Spike. God, I said Spike again. You did. You did. You did. Damn it. <laughs> this is bound to happen. All right. So, you know, we should put it – you know, we'll have to put in the notes that it's a, uh, a drinking game. Anytime I say Spike, you can go ahead and take a shot. All right. Spike's uh, – damn it. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Wow. Take a drink. Oh, my God. All right. Good thing I only have water. <laughs> Spock says, we have to keep watching. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do that. Uh, the fantasy that's in the country. We've got Pike asking questions. He's trying to figure it out. And eventually he realizes, well, you know what? It's it's the rage. That's my ticket out of here. When I get angry, these these jerks with the big heads, they can't. They can, they, they can read everything else that I'm doing, but when I get angry, they can't read that. All right, so now we're going to go on to our next fantasy that they are putting Pike into. This is the one where she's now uh, the green uh, dancing girl, and uh, Pike is set up as the space pimp, and she's dancing around. Kirk's like, hey, wait a minute. Kirk's watching this. He's like, hey, wait, is that the same girl? <laughs> Kirk's like, you know, I, I think I wait. Do I know this one? <laughs> if I don't, can I get her number? <laughs> and the comment Mendez chimes in with, "No man can resist the dancing green ladies. Everyone knows this." And they and they both start staring at her. That's great stuff. Uh, meanwhile, back to the cage. Uh, let's see. Um, the Enterprise. The whole crew has beamed down, right? But for some reason, only the two women in the crew, they've made it into where Pike is. The idea was everybody was going to beam in. And for some reason, only the ladies are in, and they've beamed right into the cage. And here's how you know that. Because when, uh, when it's realized that the females are missing, Spock screams, The women! The women! <laughs> <laughs> also we do have I, I forgot about it maybe my favorite moment in the cage in which the um the big-headed jerks they are explaining the differences between the two women that uh, that is pretty amazing that is so hilarious where they're like, well this one here she's much more of a sex kitten type <laughs> and uh, the other one she's a little boring but your kids will be very intelligent so what is it you like that's hilarious. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, the phasers, communicators, they allegedly do not work. For some reason, one of the super intelligent big-headed dudes seems to be uh, like putting a tray under the door to feed Pike in, in his cage, where Pike grabs him and starts choking him. And he does, I, I'll tell you, he does a good job of choking him because I probably would have started pounding on his big head if I was him. That's, what I, that, that's where I would have went. Just pound on the giant uh, giant head that he has. Okay. This is where our transmission ends for right now. Now, Pike, as in um, wheelchair Pike, he's asked for his verdict. And Spock says, wait a minute. 
There's more. Wait, wait. This, who, who turned the projector off? Turn it back yep. on. I don't understand what's happening here. But nothing happens. So, Pike, wheelchair Pike, please, your vote. Guilty. The Commodore, guilty. Kirk, guilty. Now we have uh, an interesting view from the bridge. And we learn that Talus 4 has control of the ship. You know, Talus 4. You know the death penalty planet? They're now controlling your ship. That can't That's be. always a good sign. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it's just getting it's just getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> Spock is now like, well, okay, listen, the good news is now that they're controlling the ship, we'll now we'll know what's going on. Don't worry, it'll all be explained. And sure enough, once Talus Four is in control of the ship, they decide to put the projector back on and here we're gonna watch the cage again. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh we have uh regular Pike, young Pike, he is leading Big Head and the ladies out of the actual cage. We're, we're now going back onto the surface of the of Talus 4. And after watching the end of the video, Kirk gets up and goes to, you know, he's talking, and then he goes to talk to the Commodore, and the Commodore disappears! <laughs> what? You didn't see that coming. What? He's what I what happened here, and now we learn that the big heads, those those jerks from Talos Four, have apparently made the Commodore an illusion. He was now he existed on wherever they were at the beginning, but on the, on the star base. On the star base, thank you. However, he, he was never on the ship. What you now seem to hear, Captain Kirk. Are my thought transmissions. The Commodore was never aboard your vessel. His presence there and in the shuttlecraft was an illusion. He's still on the starbase. He he never left. Okay. Interesting. And these guys say, listen, uh Pike, who did not who who hey, listen, obviously he thought he was too good for our intergalactic zoo before, but you know what? Since our our female is a, is a deformed gal, maybe now he's in a perfect position to come and join our zoo. Okay. And so, uh, hmm, that's interesting. So apparently most of the court-martial, not real, since Mendez, not real. Kirk says, okay, all right, he th- thinks about this. And, well, Pike, do you want to go live in an illusion world on, on Talus 4? Yes! Yes, I do. Which, by the way, I would do. Yep. Uh, Now is a perfect time to be in a lizard world. If you're in a wheelchair where your arms don't move, where even your arms don't move, forget the legs. Your legs, you don't even see. I don't even know. You don't know if he has arms that can't move. You're right. You can't tell. You don't know what he has. You're right. He just might be a torso. I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. (sighs) How does he go to the bathroom? Let's not think about it. Okay. Yeah, it's not. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> he beeps yes, and then Spock wheels him off, off to Illusion World. Yeah. And uh, Kirk is, is staying in the room because he's amazed and he's not ex- entirely sure. You know, I, it's all like settling in what has just happened to him. Yep. 
And he's just been through the ringer. Yeah. And right? then, he's been trying not to not to sweat bullets because of of, of this uh, mutinous behavior by by Spock. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he didn't know this thing about Pike. He didn't know why Talos Four was the forbidden planet. He just knew that, you know, about the order that you're never supposed to go there. He didn't know Spock had a history with Pike or that Spock had been to Talos Four. Mm-hmm. Right. It's this is a lot to take in. Yeah. You know, the commander just disappears out of the blue. Yes. You know, um, and now he's watching uh, Pike uh, waltz off on the planet. Yeah, he, he, here's how we're going to end: is is Kirk watching the monitor, and now Pike, who ha- who was just wheeled off and has beamed down to the planet, he is now in his illusion form, and he's running around with Vina uh, on Talos Four. They're like running off happily together. Bye and, bye. Yep, and Kirk is just going to be staring like, ah. What the hell? You know, he's got that that look on his face that it's kind of he's smiling, kind of oh, wistful, yeah. like wow, a happy ending for that guy. I don't know if it's a happy ending for you, Kirk, but it's a happy <laughs> ending for Pike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there you go. There is is the menagerie. Holy cow! All right. Yeah, quite a lot there, huh? That's quite a lot. That is quite a lot. You know, it, it, but it it was two parts. Okay, so y- you want some thoughts on this? Yeah. All right. Here's what I'm going to tell you. All right. So the first half of part one is the best half of this. This whole the whole Spock going rogue thing is great stuff. Like legitimately great stuff. I love it. The problem I have with this is that I had to rewatch the cage. The problem, you don't have to do that until most of the second half, right? It's, yeah. It's part two where most of that comes in. Yeah, because like the first half hour, the first half of the first episode is all new stuff. And then the second half yeah. of the first episode is like part of the cage. And then, yeah, all of part two is essentially we're going to watch the cage. And every so often, someone's going to say, all right, just tell us what's going on. And Spock's going to say, no, no, you got to keep watching. Then, you know, that's a little... It's a little redundant. It's a little lame, and I didn't really want to watch the cage another time. But, I, you know, I can completely understand and appreciate that. I yeah. kind of felt the same way. Yeah. You know, um, coming into this, I'm like, oh boy, we're gonna have to do that again. You know, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, am I gonna? How much of how much of those scenes am I really, really gonna watch? Oh, it's you like know, the entire show. Yeah. The whole yeah. thing. You're and, you know, I don't I don't know uh, off the top of my head what the rating was that you gave it, but I'm sure it wasn't great um, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it's acceptable, you know, but we just saw it. And um, when I think of the menagerie. Yeah. Uh, coming into this, coming into this, when I thought of the menagerie, I'm like, ah, oh, gee, I have to watch the cage again. I thought it was almost the same. <laughs> so I'm feeling a little bit I'm fe- I'm, I'm appreciating your. Your standpoint on it. At the same time, I'm saying that my my vision was that there would be less new stuff than there was. I was happy <laughs> that uh-huh. there was more new stuff <laughs> yes. and appreciative of how they, they wove it in. So that helped me. Mm-hmm. All right. So now I, I could understand if you've never seen The Cage that this is a phenomenal Two episodes. Yes. You know? As long as you keep looking at it from that standpoint. I, I totally understand that perspective. It unfortunately yeah. was not the perspective that I had. It wasn't my experience, you know. It's not your have, experience. Having right. seen it. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Yeah. You've probably I'm sure you watched this first. When was it that you saw the cage just on its oh, own? Oh, well, when I was explaining it to you in, you know, in the 80s. Okay. So it was Now was that part of the the Star Trek run? Was that released special? Mm. Okay. So, all right. Do you want to do you want to lock in your rate? Do you know what your rating is? I yeah, I've already typed it in. I already know what it is. All right. Okay. Okay. So, so what happened was after the cage was uh, rejected by NBC and then Star Trek was uh, was picked up um, um, with the second pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before, there was a lot of time you know, while they were trying to figure stuff out. And so what Gene would do is he was trying to convince people that Star Trek was a great thing. He thought – he completely disagreed with the studio. He thought that the cage was brilliant, stuff that no one had ever seen before, and amazing storytelling, the writing – Spock, the woman number one. He just he loved everything about it. He just thought it was his it, it was his uh, masterpiece of of his lifetime. And so what he would do is he would go around and he would show it. He would bring it around in the reels, and he would he would like go to a party or whatever and invite important people over or friends that he wanted to brag to and say, look at this thing they did. And he would play that. So he would he would go to different parties and different situations and play it. Huh. Um, but then once Star Trek gets uh, st- starts getting going here um, and they make the cage, they go, they go ahead and they put the cage. They, they have to edit the package that becomes the cage. Uh, I'm sorry, that becomes the menagerie, right? And actually, it makes sense. You don't get everything that we saw in the cage in the menagerie. There are a couple of scenes that are that are deleted for, you know, just for brevity's sake. Sure. And then Star Trek is canceled in a couple of years later. And guess what? Suddenly, the footage disappears. Oh, of the, of the cage, and so all of the episodes that start, you know, appearing on WPIX uh, Channel Eleven in New York and across other stations in the country in the early seventies that really led to the rebirth of Star Trek by creating new fans. All of those, none of I'm sorry, none of those channels ever had the cage in them. The cage was never seen. It was never, ever seen. And then one day in uh, 1986 or something like that, mm-hmm. somebody stumbles across it. They find If they find some old reels and holy crap, look at this. And Gene's excited. And so then they start, you know, sprucing it up and, you know, taking it to the lab to fix it up and make it better. And they said they're going to have this big seminal moment on whatever network it was back in the 80s. This is the moment that you remember. Where um, they said, okay, it's the original pilot. We're going to show it, you know, next month, uh, September 1st, you know, at 7 o'clock on channel whatever, right? right? So everybody, you know, tuned in that night to see, what? What do you mean the original pilot? Nobody knew the, this thing about the original pilot. I mean, maybe Trekkies knew. But, right. but you know, most of the public did not know that there was this thing called the original pilot. So then Gene Roddenberry is standing up in front of the screen and he's explaining the backstory, and then they play the cage, and he kind of jumps in a little bit here and there, I think, or maybe at the end, and um, that's what the moment you're talking about. So whatever I was explaining to you, yes, I probably was just um, <laughs> understanding it in real time quicker than you were. Okay, got you understand? It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because you're you're just a little kid, right? Mm-hmm. So like to me, I'm blown away by this. I'm learning about it too for the first time. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I'm like, what the heck? And I've never seen any of that stuff. <laughs> Although, I mean, I did see the, I did see the menagerie. You see the menagerie, so sure, this, you know, right. it's definitely familiar. At least it was familiar. I hadn't seen the menagerie a lot. You mm-hmm. know, I'd, I'd seen it. So, but yeah, to see that this was its own thing, and I was like, try to like just you know connect those dots. And so, so that's this, that's the the history of that. So it was kind of a big deal. Gene was always really excited about this thing. Um, and uh, I don't know that anybody else was, but he was. And there you go. Okay. All right. Very cool. All right. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure you've got some other information that you want to share before I start giving you verdicts on this. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. Right. So here's your go ahead. Lay it on me. All right. So um, I'll continue with, I guess, with the, the, the story about the cage and how it worked. So it was actually footage from the master negative of the cage that was edited into the master negative of the menagerie. There was no other color or 35 millimeter copy of the cage that existed. And in fact, I think, I don't know if you noticed this, but when we were watching the menagerie here on, on Netflix, Mm -hmm. uh, I noticed that the footage when, when they went to the cage, it looked sort of blue. It didn't look vibrant. Oh, it you, bad. yes, it did. It looked blue and muted. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah the colors didn't it, it did not pop, which to its benefit, it added to the idea yep. that it was old. Yep. That you're looking yep. at the past. Yeah. Yep. There were other points where I would hit pause for a minute to go do something and come back and I would see like, you know how you see like from like really old movies, you see that line that comes down the middle. You see those lines that looks like, you know, there's a crease or something. Yep. Mm -hmm. There was some of that in this too. I don't know if you noticed that, but there was some of that in this as well. So that's, that's what they, that was the, the the master negative. So that, that, um, so they only had a black and white 16 millimeter print. Then that was owned by, by Gene. And then in 1987, that's when the full color negative trims from the cage are found. Um, at a film laboratory in L.A., and then that's returned to Paramount Pictures, and then I've said all the other stuff. Yeah, I love um, how things are always found in in know, film right? laboratories or in, in file cabinets somewhere. I, don't people pay attention to what they have? I don't understand how these things happen. Well, oh, look. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, the lost episodes of The Honeymooners. What? <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> how is this stuff just found somewhere? I never understand this. But the, you know what it happens is? all the time. Because it's not like they know that – well, I mean in, in Star Trek's case, when by the time that the show gets canceled um, or they know they're going to be canceled, they get the news that is going to – that makes them all realize that, oh, we're basically on life support. Everybody sort of just checks out. And so now you're still working on the show, but you're not really around a whole lot. Gene wasn't around a whole lot. So mm-hmm. I think it's easier for things to just sort of drift away. Well, you, you know, know what I mean? Well, also, um, for the, the 50s and the 60s when it came to television, they just didn't seem to think anybody would care. There's also you, that. You know, That's th- a huge element. You're th- right. You know, I, I, I learned recently that, you know – if you ever watch old episodes of The Tonight Show, you'll notice you don't really see a lot of stuff from the 1960s. And it's because it doesn't exist anymore. Because they would just reuse the tapes. Isn't um, 
They would reuse the tapes. They would reuse the tapes. Unbelievable. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine that? So we, so like I, and I, I never, it never really occurred to me. But I was then I thought about it. Like, you know, the only episodes, the only clips I can I can think of the old Tonight Show, as in you know the early Johnny Carson stuff from you know like sixty two, sixty three, you know, that that era is him like uh, riding on a on a little go kart or something, and it and it turns over and. Yeah. And you, but they show the episodes from the seventies on MeTV or, or one of yeah. those stations now, but they don't right. ever go that early, and it's because they, they're they they're they're not there. They're simply not there. How insane is that? I I know, and in fact, I isn't it true that Ricky Ricardo is the guy that um, said, "Hey, we have to start recording these things." Uh, I I don't know that for a fact, but it would not surprise me. That I, would not I, I thought he me at gets all. the credit for that. That was his genius. Is that hey, you know, every TV show that we do, I Love Lucy has to be has to be saved to film somehow. So whatever they were doing back then, I don't know, but yeah. it doesn't just get broadcast. It gets it gets recorded somehow. Yeah. Huh. I, I, I don't I don't know. I'll tell you what. I was just watching um, of where I live. They're 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 showing uh, Make Room for Daddy. Okay, that old TV show, right? And yeah. so I've been recording it on DVR, uh, but <laughs> you know they were doing like the later episodes, and I wanted to see like the really early ones. So they spun back around about two weeks ago, and so I've started catching it from the beginning. Well, guess what? Hmm. It's not from the beginning. I was like, well, this appears to be the first episode. I did some research. No, this is season four, episode one. So, and not only that, the first three years. Um, are completely it's a completely different storyline I, I you know the the mom isn't there she, yeah it's a, she, it's she, a different mom I know that yes well right and they killed her because in the show they killed her because she didn't want to work on the on uh, she wanted to go off and do other things mm. but I didn't know but I don't know that there's any if there is any footage of any of that stuff I don't know you know which would be right around that time period because <laughs> this is like 1956 <laughs> I think oh man. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, to your point though, it is absolutely stunning that you don't think that you want to hit the big red record button. Obviously, yeah. I'm just joking, but you, you know, like yeah. it's 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 astonishing. But, I mean, you know that people have been making movies for 60 years, or basically, or 50 years by that point, that you can always pull back the the reels. Why don't you want that for you for your work? <laughs> you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It it boggles the yeah. mind where you kind of think, yeah, like like what you're doing, like you're creating a newspaper and it's just disposable, and then tomorrow there'll be another one, and that's right. all anyone is going <laughs> to give a crap about. You know, right. that's no, no, that's that's not it at all. And now we've lost lots of stuff because of it. So good job, good job, Hollywood. So let's go back a little bit here. Uh, so so Gene is very happy about. The cage. He always disagreed. Like I know I'm being a little bit redundant, but I'm I'm building to the point here okay. that that and this is going to be one of those relationships that's going to be going to start to be tested here. He always disagreed with NBC. He always said it was a fantastic piece of work, and they just were too stupid to recognize it. So when they finally um, when they finally greenlit, you know, Star Trek, it, uh, it was on like March sixth that uh, Desi Lu gets the um, gets the message from NBC that that Star Trek is a go and they want whatever it is, 26 episodes. Um, so that was March 6th. OK, the first episode is going to air that fall. So that's not a lot of time to put this thing together. Um, in Gene's head, 
he thought that, you know what, I'm going to find a way to get the cage back in. I'm going to, I don't care that NBC didn't like it. I'm going to get it back in fans and, and, uh, Critics are going to love it and screw you, NBC. Huh. So he was already planning that. In fact, uh, when it was time to put together a whole bunch of storylines or just just to throw out story ideas for what the first bunch of episodes of Star Trek could be about, it was March fourteenth, uh, I think it was, something like that. It was about a week later, and he had the cage already in there. Oh no! Kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The menagerie. He had the menagerie already in there as an, as one of the ideas. Oh, okay. Because yeah, because I'm getting that back in there. I know it's the goods, and I'm going to work it in this way. That's really so. Cool. Here's so yes. Yeah, so it's very sneaky. And here's what he also. So this is like the legend that that explains why they did the menagerie. Mm-hmm. So the legend is that they were so far behind on the on the post production because uh, all of these. Um, Optic houses and special effects companies. There weren't companies. There weren't houses. People didn't do this kind of work back then. Star Trek was 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 creating this stuff, and the people that they were using. There was one company called the uh, the Anderson Special Effects Company, whatever. They were just falling behind because they couldn't figure out how to make how to work with miniatures uh, uh, of the uh, of the Enterprise and the other ships and things like that. They couldn't figure out how to film that, how to make it look right. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes, well, like, like like we talked about with the Corbinite, Corbinite maneuver, I think that episode took a, about a month and a half just in post production. So you'd be working, uh, you'd be shooting uh, an episode. They had like six days to shoot an episode. They do all the filming, and then you know, then they'd come back, and then they start the next episode, and they're doing that. But meanwhile. There's a whole bunch of other people that you know. There's dozens, maybe hundreds of other people that are involved in trying to get the the one you did before to be presentable on air. All of the editing that has to be done, and all the different people that you have to work with, the the scoring of the shows and the music and the sound effects, all of it had to be invented. So that that stuff was just killing them. And so the legend is that they were they were falling behind on their on their air dates. And uh oh. They're supposed to have something ready, uh, you know, for, for this one in November, and it's not looking. And it's in they're in October, and they're like, "Crap! There's no way we're going to have any episodes done in time." So then Gene comes up with this idea, says, "You know what? Let's get the cage, pull that out of the mothballs. We'll we'll write we'll write the envelope around it. Boom! That'll give us two episodes. That'll give us two weeks, and that'll buy that that two weeks will be critical to helping us." Yeah, get more time for all of the other episodes that are being that are being you know, post produced. So that's the legend of what happened with the menagerie. But but the real truth is that, like I said, he came up with this idea back in the first week after he was in the first very first group of story ideas. So he was already going to do it. So that was his business reason was to do it was to help gain back some time on the production demands. Uh, but but really, it's just that he wanted to do it. But guess what? Okay. It what? turned out that he that he actually they, he he turned out to be correct. Oh, they wound okay. up being really behind. <laughs> so they wound up being in trouble. He kind of intentionally he thought at the very beginning. All right, I'm going to work the cage in, and I'm going to tell everybody. Listen, we need time to catch up on all of our post production on our other episodes. This will afford us that. And then when it came time to work it in, he really needed that excuse. That was not an excuse anymore. It was legit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the thing that he thought was an excuse, yeah. mostly, he probably thought, and he, you know, <laughs> if, if, if you could probe his brain, yeah. he would, it would probably be like eighty uh, percent of that is bullshit. But I guess there's a twenty percent chance that you know we will be behind. You know, I think it was sort of like that. 
and it turned out that it was the opposite. Okay. Right? You know, huh. that it was it was more like 80% that mm-hmm. they really needed that to they have really it happen. really were behind. I mean, somebody had to make that that cube that spins on uh, the Corbomine maneuver. I understand. In fact, in nope. fact, I think the cube was a big problem. Um, yeah, that they were that they were having all sorts of problems with with that. In fact, when they were filming the menagerie, the episode with Harry Mudd was airing. Oh, okay. I remember. Th- I certainly remember that one. That was a few. That's a few back now, actually. That's a few back. Yeah. That's a few back. I mean, we've taken our time in putting the podcast together, but it's really it's mean it's just a few episodes ago, really. Mm-hmm. So. These people that are working on Star Trek, the actors, they don't know, you know, what this thing is going to look like, except for the fact that the production is taking so long that they are now able to see what the shows actually look like when the lights go off. Okay, so now is this a reason why the production order and the airing order are different? Because this is what we have that's ready and ready to go. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, that's exactly right. Now, with the with the one exception of the fact that the first episode that they used was uh, after the pilot was the naked time, which is your favorite one. Well, one of your it was one of your favorite ones, um, but um, it was kind of weird because uh, it, it, there seemed to be a lot of knowledge about the characters already. Yes. Right. And and then you go from that one and you go into some of the other episodes and they're the, the, the uniforms are not the same. Right? They're still doing, you know, they're still they have it. The naked time looks completely out of order because everything is so much more developed. And then you then you take so that you got to go through like the next three or four to see like, oh, yeah, that's right. It is. It is out of order. Oh, well, uh, I will tell you on on uh, on Corbin Maneuver, the one scene that Rand has in it. It seems like yeah. like it's her first day on the ship, and yeah. there's already an established relationship that we've seen right. by now. You That's know? right. So, so yeah, that definitely felt like it was out of order when uh, when we were watching that one uh, a couple weeks ago. Right. So that's that kind of explains all of that. He finally got his he finally got his way. Mm-hmm. Um, but now there were there were other issues. So like Gene thought it would be easy. It would be really easy to just go ahead and write and write it up, and he thought he could do a great job. Um, now, the guy that wrote the cage was John D. F. Black, John Black. He's also the guy. Um, no, I don't want to say that he wrote. He, I'm not saying he wrote the cage. He's the guy that wrote the Naked Time. Okay. He also wrote the original words for the theme that that the opening theme that Kirk speaks. Okay. Um, and he worked. He was like a, he was an associate producer who was heavily involved in cleaning up scripts. He did a lot of writing, a lot of writing and rewriting and stuff like that, working with all these writers. So his contract was starting to run out and he was going to move on to do other things. He wasn't getting along so well with Gene Roddenberry. And um, and I think he had two days left in his contract uh, before it was due to run out. And one of the last things that Roddenberry told him to do was to go ahead and write the uh, and write the envelope for the menagerie. Um, and so um, he uh, Roddenberry gives him a, a couple of uh, pointers on what to do and then moves on to all of the, the business of running Star Trek outside of that. And um, Black writes something. It's called the original title was From the First Day to the Last. Turns it in. Roddenberry looks at it, hates it and rewrites <laughs> it completely, completely. All right, and then he goes ahead garbage. and puts his own uh, name on the the credit as the only writer. They go ahead and they pay 
black. I think it's like 750 bucks. It's half of what he was supposed to get. Um, and black starts to realize this, this, this doesn't seem right. And so he gets pissed. He files a writer's guild grievance oh. over the whole thing. Oh, yep. there's a big old arbitration hearing. Uh, Roddenberry, uh, either shows up for the hearing or has a huge uh, explainer uh, notebook or something that, you know, that tells his side of why, um, why he deserves the sole credit. And um, also he shows, he points at all the differences between his version and blacks to show that he wasn't stealing anything that black had written in his version. Black didn't write anything, didn't submit anything. And so, even even though he feels that he was he was wronged by Gene to this day, he feels that you know he was just going to stand on the fact that he he was right, he was innocent, and that the truth would come out. Well, the arbitration board rules against him. Gene gets the credit. Guess who hates Gene for the rest of his life? Uh, see, you know, th- this is the kind of thing where you know, if if you have a uh, if if you're a sports team and you have a restricted free agent. And he doesn't want to sign his contract. Do you want to really take him to arbitration and explain? Well, the reason that we don't want to pay this guy that much is because he actually stinks. And now you're is it worth it to alienate that person? So is it right now? Black apparently had done a lot of work on the show. What happens to him in relation to Star Trek after this? Does does he stay on or is he gone? Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Black. So, so for the role of Captain Christopher Pike in this episode, uh-huh. they turned to Jeffrey Hunter, but they couldn't get him. And I don't remember what I don't remember what the deal was, but they couldn't get him. Oh wait, they wanted uh, him to to be wheelchair they wanted, Pike. Yeah, they wanted him to come back, and and they I think at first he wasn't going to be sitting in the chair. You know, oh, they, they, okay. They had some other. Okay, you know, all right. You know what? Some other use that yeah. actually would have been really cool, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what they wanted, and maybe that's what um, Gene always thought, you know, back in March, you know, when he first thought, I'll bring this back, you know, and be this kind of a show, um, and we could probably get Jeffrey Hunter back. But they couldn't get him back, and I don't remember what it was. Um, I know that Hunter didn't want to be on Star Trek. I know he really did not. So was it because he said, you know, I'll do it if you pay me more money or whatever? Who knows? So they start thinking about it, and they're like, you know, whoever it's going to be, they have to have eyes like Jeffrey Hunter. He's got those piercing, right, steely blue eyes. Yes, he does. Well, apparently John D.F. Black also has piercing steely blue eyes. You got to be kidding me. Do not tell me that's who's playing Pike. I am not telling you that. Okay. But I am telling you that that's who they call to ask. <laughs> so this guy's already pissed off. That, yes. So now in the episode that yes. he wrote and then had rewritten and then yes. that yes. and then felt that he got screwed on the pay and then yes. went to arbitration over it. They called yes. him up and said, "Yeah, we're about to film that thing that we got that that you feel that we stole from you. Um, would you like to be in it?" Yeah. Jeez, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, I'm so, not kidding you. So that I'm was a that was a very quick no from uh, from Mr. Yes. Black. It, the way that in the readings that I've come up with, uh, you know, Black's wife was uh, was someone that worked with him in the in the business, and I think she actually winds up actually uh, playing other roles on Star Trek small roles later. Um, if we, you know, hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll see them and point them out in, in future podcasts. But anyway, at the time, they're very very upset, and she takes the call, 
and um and she looks at him and they both like are like rolling their eyes at each other like are you kidding me and they, yeah they couldn't say no quick enough mm-hmm. how about that though the chutzpah to uh yeah that is some chutzpah to go ahead and ask that guy jeez that's hilarious so the person making the call is uh dc fontana by the way okay and th- that is a woman who yes is, who is Dorothy a writer. Fontana. okay yes all right all right. Ooh, yes, I, I yes. remember the name. Okay. Yes. Yes. So Wait. So Gene doesn't call himself. Is what you're telling me. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm telling you. Yes, you got it. Yes, you got it. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Fact, yeah, yeah. Uh, at this point, was was his personal secretary. <laughs> so he's like, you know what? We need to make a call. Just ask this guy. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All right. So go ahead. Uh, you were about so, to. Say. Mm-hmm. So the guy that um, that they ask to play the role is Sean Kenny. He's the guy that we see. His eyes are similar, and he is going to have other small contributions to Star Trek that hopefully we'll be able to uh, oh, okay. point out. He was a guy that uh, was not established in the in Hollywood. Um, he was, you know, he felt um, fortunate to get anything that he could get, and was basically. If I say a mensch, I mean that in the in the most positive way. Does that does that make sense? Well, a mensch is a positive thing. It's a, okay. That's what I want it to be. Okay, because okay. that's a mensch is like a like a a, a guy who do, who helps you out. He's a yes. I don't want to say exactly a mentor, but kind of in that in that vein would be a mensch. I wouldn't say he's a mentor at all. He's more like, oh, you need that? I'll be happy to help you. you okay. Know, like yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. He was sort of that kind of guy, and he was he was available, and he was right there, and he was asked to do it, and he said, "Yeah, sure." So it turns out that it was really, really, really hard work because I mean, he's just sitting in that chair. Oh my god, but, it must have been terminal to be like what whatever they're compressing him in, it looks so uncomfortable. Plaster of Paris on his face. Oh man, he's not get, whatever he got paid. It's not enough. Yeah, so I want to read you a little something about Sean Kenny's experience in that in that chair. It was uh, a little quote from him. So you're gonna you're gonna love this. <laughs> okay. Okay. He actually wrote a book about his career, and it's called "For Captain Pike Found Alive." Okay. So, anyways, he says being a guest star on a show with no lines, un- un- unable to speak to any of the actors and crew due to the makeup, had an interesting twist to it. After a few hours and not adding to anyone's conversation, you become a very keen listener and you also become like part of the set, invisible. You start to hear interesting anecdotes coming out of certain people. Oh, my God. And you develop a keen insight into their personalities. (laughs) Oh, please. I told you you'd love this. Oh, please. Go on. And remember, Danny, this is still very, very early in the series run. Yes. Right? Yes. I soon realized that, yes, Bill Shatner was not well-liked and, in fact – he was disliked. Oh, wow. But then again, his role was the captain of the ship, and he took his role seriously on and off the set. I didn't have any personal confrontations with him, but he was known to thoroughly chafe the various directors on the show during filming. Shatner was from Montreal, Canada, and a trained stage actor who used his voice effectively to bark out orders. Ha. Huh. Okay. All right. Interesting. Good. Good stuff. Yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. And then when he talks about what it's like to uh, to, to be in the role, you know, uh, with the makeup and everything, he says, they had to dye my hair white, which I wasn't too happy about. I had never worked with extensive makeup before, and it was a, it was a scary time when Fred Phillips wanted to perfect the makeup by making a life mask. 
They applied plaster of Paris to my face with only two little rubber hoses in my nostrils for breathing. Yeah. My face hardened up like a rock, and suddenly I wondered whether I was going to breathe or not. The appliances were very tight around the face. Eating was very difficult, so my lunches were taken through a straw consisting of soups and mush. It was quite an experience. That sounds like it sucks beyond belief. Yeah. That sounds terrible. I mean, I certainly hope he had a good second career going to conventions. Yeah. You know, I bet he did. And, um, you know, he did some other things. Nothing, nothing really noteworthy that, that I, that I, that I jotted down here, but he didn't just simply disappear. He was around, Mm -hmm. you know, he made a living, you know, uh, doing some cool stuff, you know, being in show business. If you think that's cool, which I think, I think is cool. So it's totally cool. And this role though is, is Star Trek iconic. Is it not? Right. So I would, I would listen, the soup Nazi goes around signing autographs all the time. And, you know, from this one time on Seinfeld. Therefore, I would think that Pike would uh, have the the similar, if not more, uh, success doing that kind of thing, going around okay. and, uh, right. you know, meeting right. fans. Ay, 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 that poor bastard. Good Lord. Plastic yeah. Paris on your face and the. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No me, no, no me gusta. So that was um, so that was a win in that relationship with Sean Kenny. He was a good guy. He he was in a different position. He saw things differently than some of the other established people. He wasn't going to get offended easily. You know, he was going to work hard and hope for the best. And you know, he seems like a generally a, a, a nice guy. And so that relationship, you know, probably stayed strong, you know, forever. Um, but there were other relationships that started to take a hit as well. So you know, I think you know some people from NBC. Probably saw that and went, oh, I see. He found a way. Hmm. Didn't he? <laughs> yep. Yep. And there was already a history of working with him, for, you know, at the lieutenant, you know. So there is sort of this thing like you like Gene because he brings a really a whole ton to the table. He's got a ton of energy. He's all, you know, he'll do things the right way. He's a very smart guy. Um, but if he doesn't get his way, he's going to be difficult and possibly sneaky. So NBC you know. did, did did wait no was there a problem that they did not want the cage to be aired? Well, I just think that they felt like listen, we don't like the cage, um, but we like the concept. And we, if you're going to come come back with it, then here are some of the things we don't like. We don't like um, we don't like that spot guy. We don't like uh, <laughs> you putting bad. your girlfriend in there, uh, <laughs> Majel Barrett, number one. Uh huh. Yes. Right, and as we know, later on he's going to sneak her into into Star Trek as uh, oh, yeah. Chapel. Yeah, absolutely, yes, yes. This right, is- right. So I just, I'm just, I think they were. It's just sort of like, oh, here he goes again, and you just sort of start to maybe become overly sensitive to it, mm-hmm. you know. But like, here comes the cage when you thought you put that away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, know, you might. You might. So I think it becomes personal. I don't think it becomes. It's it's ultimately not a big deal, except that it's like we told you no. You know, like we mm-hmm. told you no. Now you, know, you you're coming to us. We're the ones that are paying a hundred and ninety three thousand dollars per episode. We're the ones that do that. We're us. We're the guys. You know. So work with us here. Stop biting the hand that's feeding you. You know. Um, so anyway, though, there were some other elements to this too that made this episode really hard to put together. Which I think it was Bob Justman. Um, one of the superstars that kept Star Trek going, I think it was him who said, you know, it just occurred to me, wait a minute, can we, can we use that footage? 
without paying all of those people? Oh my God. I had, right. you know what? That thought hadn't occurred to me. I mean, they must have already been paid for the pilot. Correct. However, this is something that's that that's that's different. Correct. So what happens here? So he sends off a, a memo to Desi Lu and says, "I can't believe anybody else didn't think of this before me." But is this a is this a problem? We got to, uh, you know, we we have to get the lawyers involved and find out, you know, what are the what are the rights. You know, that we have to worry about and, you know, do we have to pay additional monies because people are being used in different ways and blah, 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 blah. So it turned out that just to make everybody happy. Yeah, that's what they did. They went ahead and they paid like Jeffrey Hunter got another five grand. Okay. You know, and a bunch of the other actors got like, you know, um, all the actors that basically disappeared. They got like, you know, 500 bucks for that appearance because, yeah, they got paid to be for their likeness to be used in a pilot. But now if you're going to have it you – know, if you're going to use it differently in a different mm-hmm. setting, yeah. then that's not in the contract. So you can't just go ahead and do that without my permission. True. So then they go ahead and they, – so they have, to pay, they have to pay a few more bucks. So suddenly they thought they were going to have this tremendous uh, cost savings as well. Yeah, no. Because they were already running over budget on all, of the other, uh, on all of the other episodes so far. They're already in the hole. So they thought they were going to do that, and then it turned out that they were going to have to pay some of this money back. But ultimately, they did okay. They still came in under budget on this one. However, there mm-hmm. is one relationship mm-hmm. that, that that starts to take a hit here. Okay. And who else was in the episode, Danny? Mm-hmm. That's who, noteworthy. Who else was in, in the menagerie? In the cage. Oh, in the cage. That's noteworthy. Uh, other than – who was in the cage and the menagerie? Oh, who was in the cage and the menagerie? Yeah. Who? Um, I don't know. Leonard Nimoy. Oh, well, okay. okay yeah, sure. He's the only one. Right. Okay. All right. I, right. I, I thought you were going to tell me oh. somebody else for some reason. But yes, no, sure. Spock is in both. Yes, absolutely. Right. Well, Leonard Nimoy says, wait a minute. Uh-uh, not cool. Everybody oh. else is getting paid double. Oh. <laughs> you got to be kidding. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow. And you know what? I get paid twelve fifty per episode or whatever. He was getting something like that. I get paid twelve fifty per episode to be on Star Trek. That's an episode of Star Trek. I get paid an extra twelve fifty. No way. That's what Gene said. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happens? Does he eventually, get it? Eventually, Nimoy wins. But this is a protracted conversation. It's an argument that doesn't go away. It's just stuff like this chafes at Leonard Nimoy. Like there's some people would be, you know, are going to be more like um, is, is Jeff Bridges in the dude. Right. Okay. What, what movie was that? That's <laughs> the Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski, right? He's gonna be like, ah, it's okay, you know, we're all dudes, it's all fine, whatever. Yeah. Some people are gonna be like that. I think Sean Kenny would be sort of like that, the guy that played Pike in uh-huh. the chair. Sure. Right. And then some people are gonna be like Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> and, uh, yes. <laughs> They're just gonna say, no, no, you gotta pay for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's not gonna let anything go. Nothing. You know, he always felt like 
if he if he if he gave you the pat on the back and said it's okay that you were taking advantage of him and something in Nimoy's personality would just never let that happen. He was just he had too much pride in himself and he was just you know I think it was I don't think it was about the money I think it was about the pride you know that you're going to respect me you're not going to get to walk all over this guy and um, yep so that becomes a big tremendous issue and I think that this is at the very, very beginning of that. So later on, mm-hmm. when they were when they were having uh, when Star Trek was starting to have its uh, revival with all the reruns in the seventies, um, there were a couple of concepts that were out there to bring the show back um, uh, as a show in uh, in the early to mid seventies. But one of the issues was that Leonard Nimoy hated Roddenberry by that point. They had a lot of lawsuits going between the two of them. Oh, wow. And in fact, just to get the first movie on the air, uh, Star Trek, the motion picture in 79, I think it is. Yeah. 79. Yeah. 79. Um, okay. Well, one of the deals was that, uh, Leonard Nimoy was going to have to drop his lawsuit so that he could be in it. And he wasn't going to drop his lawsuit. Uh, and he may have had more than one against Roddenberry and Paramount. Oh, wow. He wasn't going to do that unless other things happened. So there was, that was like a big negotiation between, of both parties, and that stuff continued to happen through all of the other movies too. Holy Leonard Nimoy always had problems cow. with Roddenberry and Paramount and whoever else was involved with the movies. Oh. Always lawsuits, always fighting, always bickering. Did and not, I think oh, did not know any of that. Huh? And, and I think that um, knowing so since I know a lot of that stuff, I did not realize the, um, what happened here in the menagerie. And so I'm just sort of deducing this on my own mm-hmm. that this is, this must be the beginning. It, it, you know? Oh yeah. It sounds like it. That, yeah. That's a major sticking point. The, the, yeah. the, everything that, that you just explained to me where he wants to get paid twice for that episode because you're using my likeness that I, it was in another episode. Like, yeah. yeah. That sounds like that's a big problem. And if they had to, you know, go somewhere to get that settled, Whatever the settling is going to be, somebody's not going to be happy and they're probably not going to let it go. Yeah. And what happens is, you know, as these as these fights, as these, you know, these fires, you know, keep flaring up, you know, now it becomes more like, oh, you're just being a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know. Oh, again. What's the problem today, Leonard? Yeah. 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 You know, like there was there's going to be some argument later on about the fact that he doesn't have a phone in his trailer, you know, or something about the fact that he wanted pencils. This comes up, believe it. I mean, this is how petty it gets. At one point, it's in the second season, I think. He needs pencils to to write back to his fans. You know, they're, they're getting tons of fan mail, right? And so he needs pencils and he goes into, you know, some office supply spot in on the set or whatever and and gets a bunch of pencils and then they wind up charging him for the pencils what yeah all right they're oh my god yeah so obviously it's just petty right it's just incredibly phenomenally petty yeah and you know you know what's funny is that that's really the guy that you can't do that with because he's so iconic to the to the series you know everybody else is a human being there's only one Spock. Well, and he's he's starting to recognize that, you know, like yeah. it's, that's that's part of what's going to be the problem there. I mean, his ego is going to blow up because of that. OK. Um, and he is a method actor and he takes it incredibly seriously, like as method actors do. In fact, I think he's supposed to be one of the first ever method actors in, in a TV series. Um, 
So, you know, it is, you know, you know, and the thing about method actors is they don't laugh, <laughs> right? They are whoever they think they are. Yes. And so when, you know, when he, when he starts to insist, he, he starts to insist that he knows the character of Spock better than Gene Roddenberry does. And there's an argument to be to be made there, though, right? Sure, you absolutely. I I I would not go ahead and just dismiss that outright. That that's no, that would be incorrect. Right. Mm-hmm. right, right, right. I live this character, especially because I'm a method actor. I don't just drive in, you know, at four thirty and shoot a couple scenes and then leave. You know, I live this character. Yes. You know, day twenty four hours a day. Yeah, you know, so is. I I imagine when I'm sleeping, what he might, how he might sleep. You know, like whatever it is I'm doing, I'm imagining what he how he may do it. So I'm the guy that's really, you know, fostering and creating and molding. Well, maybe Gene created it, but I'm really the one that I'm the molder of this guy. I'm in charge of this guy. And so, yeah. And then but you're right. And you're right. I mean, that is such a his his value to the show. You could make an argument that of all of the things you want to say about what sets Star Trek apart from other TV shows, you could make the argument that the role of Spock is first on that list. Mm -hmm. I think so. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes. You see him in – oh, it's Star Trek. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So that's enough of that that stuff. It's kind of thick and deep, but I thought it was interesting. It takes us a little bit off topic, but – the reason that I said it is because I think all of this comes back to Gene wanted to push this project through so bad um, that um, – and there are other pieces of it that, that I'm not going to – I didn't get into and it's OK because I, we've said enough. But there are other relationships that get burned <laughs> and damaged, uh, other people that quit as a result of this, people that worked on the crew that quit uh, because of how hard it was to do exactly what Gene wanted. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say it this way without going into any detail. It's that it's – that, he was told by his associate producer to stay away. It's done. We've done all the writing. Don't be in the editing house. Don't go and see this part of it being done. Work on the next thing. Please don't because we, we have to get this done. The editor that's working on this, he's freaking out. And I don't know that I can keep him sane. And when you come in there <laughs> and you start getting all perfectionist on him, He's he's already frazzled. He's already like teetering off the cliff. Please stay away. And if you, oh, not only that, you're going to make it harder because we're we need to make our deadline. They had to have the the thing done in the can by like, let's say like by by eight o'clock on a Friday. And if they didn't make that deadline, then they were going to be late. Then even if like they did it by nine o'clock, then it would be too late. The production house that needs to get it next is going to be behind and blah 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 blah. So that so when Gene steps into the editing room, forget it. It's like, no, 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 go back. Do that again. What, what about this way? No, I like it better. But like, you know what? We should mm-hmm. reshoot that scene. Is Leonard still here? Is Leonard still here? Hey, hey, is the camera guy still here? Let's get him back on right now. Let's go. Let's do this. We'll shoot this right now. Like that's the kind of thing I imagine that Gene was doing. Okay. So you want Gene uh, to yeah. stay away yeah, stay when away. it's time. Stop touching it. Stop touching it. You mm-hmm. know, I know it could be better, but it, it's not going to be on the air if you don't stay away. Well, he tried very hard. There's memos that are that are written in Mark Cushman's book, which is one of the ones that I that I that I read all the time for our podcast. These are the voyages, and there are memos where Justman is basically begging him, begging him to stay away. He so Gene Gene's uh, nickname was Great Bird of the of the Galaxy. 
And so he started referring to him in those memos. Please, great bird, do us do us a, do us a favor. And da, 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 da. you know, like he was just trying to like you know assuage his ego a little bit. You know, and now guess what? No, Gene couldn't stay away. And so he stayed there. He made it harder. They still made the deadline, but that guy quit. And that oh was wow! Gee. Yeah. Okay. He's like, you know what? Fuck this. I can't stand this. You know, this is really hard working on this show. You know, and I don't know that he hated Gene, but he just didn't want to work under that situation. He I, couldn't handle the pressure. I, I understand that guy's point of view. Uh, you don't want to work for a, working with a perfectionist is no fun is uh, at all. Okay. So anyway, um, that's that's the whole thing about the menagerie. As I started doing all my research, I started realizing, wow, this is more monumental than I realized because making the making of this, which on again on the outset, on the outside looking in, it looks like it shouldn't be that hard to put together. But bec- but everything that it went into putting it together, I believe, sort of lays the groundwork for why Star Trek goes off the air, not not in the not too distant future. Huh. With all these relationships. Ah, so now here's something fun. Okay. Change the subject here. Okay. So Malachi Throne is the guy that plays the part of Commander Jose Mendez. Wait a minute. Is this the guy who came up with the Malachi Crunch on Happy no, Days? No, it is not. But boy, okay. he has some fun roles. Uh, oh, does he? Okay. <laughs> yes, he does. Okay. I don't know which one to tell you first because they're all so great. Go ahead. And this guy for a while there was Mr. Two-Part Episode in a, in a TV series. Okay. I'm sure you've seen all of them. Really? Well, where shall I begin? How about when he played the role of Alibaba in the two-part episode of Electra Woman and Dinah Girl? Okay. I do not – while I know this show, I would not remember this at all. Oh, you don't remember that? Oh, that's too no. bad. I mean I know the show. I know what they look like. I have seen the show. But yeah, the, 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 whatever happened in any of those episodes are no longer inside my head. What a shame. What a shame. Okay. Um, this one, you may not remember it so clearly, um, but this is what happened. So he was in a two-part episode of The Six Million Dollar Man that featured the debut of the bionic woman. Oh, okay. Yes. That's pretty cool, huh? That is. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. okay. I don't have any other two-parters. Uh, well, I might. I'm not sure if this is a two-parter or not, but the TV show was known for always being a two-parter. What show was that? Batman. Yes. And of course, he plays the, the part of False Face. <laughs> <laughs> false Face. I mean, I know. I, 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 first of all, it had to have been a two parter. It just right. had to. Right. Yeah. The only the only question is if it was next week or if it was the next day. I don't know if they were where it Did was. Did they do in the that run. sometimes? Uh, it started out the next day and then eventually oh, really? went to next week. Oh, OK. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. OK. And you, as a big fan of the Animaniacs in the 90s, right? Absolutely. He was the voice of God. Oh, no kidding. Okay. I remember, I don't remember, you know, that, that God appeared uh, on occasion. Oh, good, 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 good. Okay. And there's one last person that you know him as. Okay. Or at least the voice of. Okay. All right. This guy you don't like so much. You don't like him as much as you like God. Oh, okay. He was the keeper. The keeper? The voice of the keeper in the cage. <gasps> oh! <laughs> oh my! Okay, I hate that guy. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> that is really hilarious. See there, yeah. And this this does go back to your point of uh, Gene Roddenberry always reusing people. 
Yeah, yeah. Once you were in the family, you're in the family. Yeah. You know, um, if you could, if you could take it, or if you were in a in a role in a situation where you know you you could just sort of contribute without being um, having things being too demanding for you. Yeah, then you'd you know? be then you'd be fine. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's, sort of he, like Ted Cassidy. So he's he's in the cage and he's in the menagerie. Like of all yeah. the episodes that he could yeah. be appearing in, he's in both episodes at the same time, essentially. Yeah. So I'm wait, wait, wait. Now he's in the other one. Hang on a second. This begs yes, the question. Yeah. Did he get paid twice? Oh, I bet he did. Yeah. I bet he did, but I bet his, but I, but I bet his amount. His name didn't come up in any of the research that I saw, uh-huh. but I bet the amount for him was so small. Compared to everybody else, because he's just the voice. He's just the voice, yes. Yeah, but he, or, <laughs> he is also the only one who's on set, other than the Nimoy, who's exactly, there for but it. Exactly. Maybe he <laughs> and and maybe they said, you know, I could also see him saying, you know what, that's okay, because I think he's going to be around a lot, and I think maybe even his wife is going to be around. So, who knows? Maybe he's like, you know what, I don't need that fifty bucks. It's okay, man. Yeah, hold on. To I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 the answer is that I don't know, but I think okay. that, the, that the the amount is so small that it, it it doesn't really matter. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. So let me see. Is there anything else? I don't think so. All right. Um, yep. I think I think that's it. So um, I I just want to tell you briefly that my opinion of this episode yeah went up dramatically. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Coming in, I was looking down on it a bit. I was looking down on it a bit. I was like, oh, boy, I'm not looking forward to this. I know I got to do it because I know that after this, we're getting to the really good episodes that are coming up. Okay. You know? right. um, but it was, oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And, yeah, it start, and I started to respect um, the writing of how they built the envelope. You know, the, the I mean, the writing that Gene did, in my opinion, was so it was good. He was he's arrogant about it. He know he's good and he knows he's good. And that's why he's like saying, you know, kicking John Black to the side and like putting his name on that screen because he wants to get all the credit. I get it. But it is good. It is good. Yeah. Nobody likes guys like that. Nobody likes he's, those arrogant guys. You can be good, but just don't know that you're good. OK, can you pretend that you don't know that you're good? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Tough. So it's tough. With them, ultimately, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot more than I thought it would. I would not. I, I kind of come into this the way that you did. Um, and as an adult now, I've seen the cage, so I'm not going to be surprised. Like a viewer would, that would be like, "Oh, this is this is new." And I also don't know that if we were trying to get someone who would never ever watch an episode of Star Trek ever, if we're trying to get them to watch the show. I don't know that you pick this one for a lot of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. You you can't freak out. You don't have the context of Spock, so you can't freak out about the fact that he's acting he's acting out of character, Correct. right? Yes, yes. You can't you can't you can't do that. And I don't know if the show moves too slowly. For well, I don't know if I don't know if seeing that old footage today and how they did it works the way that it did in 66 when it had never been seen before mm-hmm, right. you know, i think now it has to be quicker has to be a lot more impressive um so i mean if it's going to be a situation like what they did here but i still think that i just think that the envelope writing was just so freaking good i just everything that they everything that spock that they made spock do to come up with um the whole reason to get um, pike back 
to Talus Four. Everything just makes sense, you know. Like it's just a, it, you, I can't poke any significant holes in that plot. Um, <laughs> I don't want to, but okay. I can't. All right, all right. So I like I like all of it, and uh, yeah. So for me, it was a surprising thumbs up. All right, so and that's what I wanted to tell a you. A surprising thumbs up. I. <laughs> That's, hey, that's a I little funny coming uh considering your side of things. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Listen. The Rogue Spock. There's 30 minutes of really great Star Trek here. And the very end of episode of of the second episode is fine. But there's a lot of having to rewatch the cage and then there's a lot of all right, stop this. Tell us what's going on. No, no, watch more of this. There's a lot of that that happens. That gets tiresome. So I'm really kind of mixed on this. And a part of me just thinks maybe you could have just, I don't know, found another way to do this, Spock. Maybe you could have you know, said, hey, we're going to sneak this guy over there. Anybody want to help? I don't know. So anybody want to help? Yeah. I see Spock doing that. Hey, I could I could use hey, a hand here. Hey, I mean, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, who wants? Who's up for an adventure? Huh? Okay, he's a big he's a big party invitee guy. <laughs> now, if the whole if there had been less of the cage, if they had trimmed that down, and that's uh, let's just say that we watched two hours of television. I know we didn't. It's probably what fifty minutes a piece or so. But let's just Sound say it's like two that, hours. Yeah. Let's just yeah. say it's two hours, and I feel like I watched one hour of The Cage. Yeah. If, if instead I had watched 30 minutes of The Cage and I got yeah. more of what was going on the, in the present, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But it, it did feel like uh, – like honestly, I, I started to, to not pay so much attention. Right. I'm watching it because I'm like, yeah, all right, I know what's happening here. I've already yeah. seen this. So that's, that's really where I'm coming from here. Now, I, I yes. will, the points I'm giving this one – is nowhere near as good as what I gave the Corbomite maneuver, uh, but probably better than what I've given other things. Damn it. 250 points. Okay. So All right. that's, you know, that's not great, but it's definitely better than, than most everything else. And it is mainly because those first 30 minutes are so cool. Yeah. That's really, really cool stuff. It is cool. Yeah. You know, uh, Mendez not actually being there and disappearing and it's it's almost like it's a con episode like the whole thing was some sort of a hustle that was that was done to uh, kirk that's actually kind of cool too so i appreciate that so there we go we're at uh, we're at 250 our total is now 1670 Oof. so you know we're we're still you know plotting along now that's along. for episode 1 now what, do you, what, now, what do you what do you got for episode two? Oh, you're hilarious, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, fi- I'm finding a way. Ah. So I, should, I should double it. <laughs> I should double it. <laughs> you know, That's if 500 points, uh, I'll tell you what, if you want, let's see, I can do it that way for you. Here, let me do some calculating here. Right, here we go. All right. 249 to one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know what? I'll tell you, I'm actually going to up it now that I'm thinking about it. I'll tell you what. Oh, here we go. Because all of my 250 was mainly for that first episode. So if we're going right. to judge it as two episodes, I'll give 250 to that one. I'll give another 50 for the, for the next episode. Hey, plus 50. So now it's 300 total. And... 1720, baby. Okay. 1720. You just talked me up 
fifty points. I hope you're you're proud of yourself. I've got a lot of power. Yeah, that's that's good work on your part. I feel like Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> yeah, don't let it go to your head, okay, pal? That's when we start getting into issues. We're the lawyers. All right. All right, so we are done here with the menagerie. Let's put this yes. one to bed. All right, now, do we want to look ahead? Yeah, let's look ahead. Right, so the next episode that uh, that aired is called The Conscience of the King. And I will tell you this much. Okay. That this is an episode I have not actually watched from beginning to end ever in my life. How is that humanly possible? See, this is why this is why I, I fight back when you try to say I'm a Trekkie. Uh, a, a, no Trekkie could say that. You know, uh, I'm here, a guy that's watched a lot of Star Trek. Here's what I think. I think yeah. you're a guy yeah. who's had lots of hits in the head over yes. the, over the long life that you've led, and that's, that's also true. And that some some things have fallen out of your brain. That's also true. Because this, when you're watching it in syndication every night and there's only 79 of them, you go through those episodes pretty quickly. Yeah, but when you're a six-year-old kid, you know, it's but, not like yeah, you have that as okay, a routine but you per se. But weren't you watching these also um, in, in the 80s as well? I don't. I don't really think. So. I think a little bit. I don't think as much as you think. Maybe. Maybe you're right. But. But you're still subject to. I mean, it is kind of weird that uh, an episode or two could 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 slip through. But then again, that it also makes sense. I'm not. If they if they're showing it, this is what they used to do when I first was watching Star Trek. It was Channel Eleven in New York, and it would they would show it at six o'clock every night on a weeknight. So, but I used to, you know, I used to play outside a lot. I used to play sports and with the in the neighborhood and stuff like that. So, mom would call for dinner time somewhere around six o'clock. So, I would kind of like run home, and I'd probably miss the first few minutes of Star Trek, and I'd eat while I was watching Star Trek, or maybe if that was a moment where I had to eat at the table, I wouldn't get to watch the first part of Star Trek. I'd miss some of it. Uh-huh. Then I'd finish up the end of it. If it was still light out, I'd go back out again. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I have to, you know, it's not like you have the, the DVR and you're sitting down now you've made, you've, you've made, you've pushed your, you've squeezed your life around that, that time that you've set to watch the show. It's like, you're trying to squeeze all this other stuff in there. So, you know, look, and there's going to be some days where you, you, you can't watch it. And you know, this, this happens to be the one time that that episode doesn't show or who knows, maybe they didn't have it. Maybe, maybe. I think you know more about this than me, being Radio Dan. That not every um, not every TV station gets the entire run. I mean, I don't know that that's true, but I, I suspect that it is. That sometimes it, they may only get like half the run. They may only get thirty episodes, and then you just show those. Uh, is that is that even true? I I don't I, I don't. I mean, I, it is possible, but I would think that when you have so few to begin with, you know, you wouldn't be good. Thirty episodes is gonna last you. You're right. Not very long. It's going to last you six weeks. Yeah, you're right. You're right. (laughs) I I mean, I probably missed a whole lot. I don't think I watched it five days a week. I think I watched it, you know, two or three days days a week. All right, all right, fine. So you haven't – so so this is going to be new to you as well is what you're telling me. Well, I'm telling you I was watching a lot of it last night even. Okay. And I was like – I was. I was like really getting into everything that, you know, we're doing with the podcast here. And I watched that. I watched a different one. But I started watching this one. And I'm like, let me just see. What is this? Is this what I think it is? And a lot of it was very unfamiliar to me. Okay. And then it got really good. And as I started getting towards the end, I went, oh, I, I, I don't want to do that now. 
it's it's too good. I don't want to I don't want to ruin it for myself. When you and I going to going to do the next podcast, the next review, ah, I'm not taking okay. any notes or anything like that. So I am excited about it. I'm pl- it's another one where I'm like pleasantly surprised. So like there are there are those you know twenty or thirty episodes where I'm going to go, oh my gosh, these are amazing. I'm going to be excited about it. And I'm probably going to overhype it. But oh. then there's a bunch of them where like I don't know. And like this is one where I didn't know, and like, <laughs> uh oh, this is really pretty freaking good actually. All right, so, all right. So according yeah, to you, all right, it's a little unfamiliar to you, and you think it's pretty freaking good. All right, I, 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 I got I, it. I, I, I got it. I do. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So well, well, that's it for for the menagerie for for this episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. If you could do us a solid and head on over to iTunes and rate and review the show. It helps us out. It helps the show become more visible. It'll show up when people put Star Trek into the search. It'll help bring us up to the top. Uh, Joey, have you bothered, by the way, to go ahead and and write a review for our own show? I don't think you have. Beat me up, Scotty. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm asking our listeners, and I'm asking you as well, because it's very helpful. If you've got any comments or complaints or anything, you can send me an email. It's radiodanshow at gmail.com. Is it possible, Radio Dan, to put a link Mm -hmm. in the Facebook group for this or a Facebook page for the podcast for people to just sort of like do a one click and then it takes them to the place where they could do the review. I will put you- it I will absolutely put it on there and I'm, okay. you know, I am glad you brought that up because I was not even going to mention that there is a Facebook page facebook.com slash attempting track and if you head on over there I will have a link up by the time this posts as to where you can just simply click and be taken right to the iTunes page. Awesome. Alright. Uh, with that Joe, take us out of here. Fans, you've got the con.